Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In our jumbo-sized fourth installment, Graham McMillan and I discuss 10 years of Smallville and what that might say about Superman, the return of Bruce Wayne, Wildstorm's Sparta USA and a God Somewhere, the rise of Arsenal number three, violent comics for Marvel and DC, and online criticism, the conclusion of Lost, and of course, X-Men Forever. We hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Let's start with a greeting to our listeners, shall we? I, I think listeners. we should do it, because... <laughs> <laughs> Organization, Jeff, we're doing well. We are, indeed. Okay, so I'm sorry, you're saying that I should do it instead yeah, of us both I, I believe last time I, I took care of the smooth introductions of the listeners, so I feel it should be you. All right, well, let me try this. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wait What? That's pretty I feel good, this right? should be another. I feel this should be another sentence. I know it should. It, it sounds a little like another episode uh, of Wade Watch, the podcast. Where yeah, exactly. Skype, well, see, but I've already got that whole introduction. Skype the brings part. the states together, and, and Emberbent <laughs> finds his place in America, and Jeff Lester discovers what it means to be human. <laughs> Something like that, you know. That that's what we need. Oh, yeah, that is what we need. Good Lord, we've got to make you stop watching shows on the CW, because I think that that has, like, permanently impaired your ability hey, to... They're, they're finishing Smallville. No. They are. They've, they've said, finally, Smallville is going to, in its 10th season, is finally finished. 10 I, years. 10 years of Smallville. Isn't that amazing? Can you... It, I, when I, I say mean, amazing, I don't mean in a good way. But... No, 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 I know, I know. It's like a decade of Smallville. That's it's literally a decade of Smallville. Yeah, I mean that's kind of amazing. Like seriously, I to me that's some sort of weird marker of. Although you know the thing that's really weird, and maybe this can be our first official subject, even though it won't amount to crap, um, is uh, the idea. Have you ever heard any of our other podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> okay, in that case, this may be one of our best topics ever. Um, Superman. What if he works best on television, you know, than any other well, medium? Well, I have... First of all, there's comic books, Jeff. I would argue that Superman probably works better in comics than he does in television. And I'm going to disagree with you because... Really? Yeah, because Smallville... Well, it just from numbers, Smallville, that's been on a decade. That has attracted millions of viewers. Millions yeah, of viewers turn in... No, 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 wait, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done. Well, this is my point. Like, you've got Superman who had, like, a, a brief blaze of glory with the Christopher Reeve films um, with some relatively diminishing returns. But you look at Superman on TV with George Reeve, which was not only a hit, but was actually pretty influential for a lot of comic book creators at the time. I know that, like, for example, Steve Gerber is a fine example of somebody who, like, grew up watching Superman on TV and it made him his favorite hero, right? So you've mm -hmm. got however long that ran. You have Lois and Clark, which ran for a surprisingly long time. You know, that was not that was not a flash in the pan. That was something like, wasn't it like five years or something I, like that? I, I'm going to check this because for some reason I thought Lewis and Clark only lasted like three or four. Uh, I it maybe it was four. It, it, it might be it might be one of these shows that you think went on for a really long time and didn't. For example, right, because um, it's interminable. Yeah, the, well, the news yesterday that um, Dynamite has a Flash Garden license Wait. made me think. Oh, it's like 
Dynamite Entertainment has uh, the oh, license oh, right. Flash Gordon comics now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like, I was like, oh, I've got the Phantoms of the Earth, the, the 1980s cartoon, which I remember being on for years. And it turns out it lasted a year. Yeah, yeah. The reason why you thought that was on for years is that was one of the more interminable cartoons ever. And and I love Flash Gordon. I Seriously, I love Flash Gordon. But Well, that... Flash Gordon is the new Phantom because Dynamite and Arden both have the license for it. <laughs> Again, it's 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 exactly like the Phantom. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of that is kind of weird. Okay, you are right. Um, it lasted four seasons. Four seasons, it, but eighty-seven it, episodes. Which is about right. I mean, yeah. seasons are like twenty-two, twenty-two. Absolutely, episodes. but I'm saying like that's actually that's pretty good. Like you factor in. Well, it's more, that. It's more like you know the Flash, for example. Right. Exactly. I mean, like uh, up up until. Oh up no, until the whole thing is. Your point, I mean, I understand your point, because even before Lewis and Clark, there was the Superboy TV show as well, exactly. which like three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like three or four seasons. The Adventures of Superman lasted, my God, it only had 104 episodes, but it was on the air apparently between 1951 and 1958. No, they must be counting radio or something. Um, they probably are, because I'm looking at IMDb. So, right, so this is my thesis. You've got you've got Smallville, you've got Lois and Clark, you've got Superboy, you've got The Adventures of Superman, you know, smash them all together and you have something like 20 years of Superman on television over the last 60 and, you know, relatively far more successful and again, as a TV show than any other superhero, like by far, and the number of people watching Smallville so outnumber the number of people reading the comic book. Um, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean he works better in that medium. I wouldn't have thought so either, but it's no, clear but, what no, he's but, more successful in, I would say. Sure, but I, success does not mean working better in a medium. No. More, pe- more people probably saw the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen film than have bought the book, for example. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it's a better movie than it is a comic. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, Yet yeah, to go with your argument, that's exactly what you're saying. Uh, yeah, well, don't get me wrong. I will agree with you that Superman wor- apparently works very well for a lot of people on television. Well, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I, I, I mean, and I, I'm willing to push it to the extravagant, extravagant bounds of, because I mean, I, I would not ch- trade ten years of Smallville for you know Superman's Silver Age stories. You know, I mean, are you sure? <laughs> Considering okay, Smallville has featured the Legion and the Justice League. Justice Society, sorry, not the Justice League. Considering I would not trade Smallville for like half a gallon of like partially rancid milk, yeah, that's I would I would have to say that I feel comfortable saying that I would not trade it for like the, the golden days of, of the Silver <laughs> Age. But um But I do think that it's kind of interesting that it's like a decade of that and you know they're still floundering about in theory Christopher Nolan is is proceeding with his Superman reboot but you know after Superman Returns which was not well received like there's something about the character that clearly people respond to um, and yet there's something about the way things are framed in television for whatever reason that somehow seemed to suit the character better and my theory is that the the if you if you subscribe to and I, I kind of do um, that idea that that basically Superman's greatest superpower is his decency, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
I think that's actually better to easier to convey in a weekly TV show. Um, weirdly, like a real actor, like Christopher, Christopher Reeve is the, to me, the reason why, of course, those Superman movies worked. Um, and he made that character work. Like, you know, you would not believe, but everything that managed, you know, everything that made that come together has to do with everything that he was as, you know, an actor and with charisma. In other words, there's sort of a, you, I, I almost feel like unless you've got somebody incredibly keyed in on how to do Superman, right. Um, you can almost get away with the same thing by having somebody who's basically uh, an incredibly charismatic, decent-seeming person play Superman, mm-hmm. and and it and it seemed and it, it will end up being almost more successful than whoever you end up putting. Like it's very hard to convey decency, I think, in a superhero comic, which maybe is our segue into uh, the rise of Arsenal. Maybe not. Uh, let's make it our segue to the rise of Arsenal because I don't necessarily disagree with your your Superman theory. The one thing I would say about why I think Superman might work better as a television show than as a movie mm-hmm. uh, is that I don't think for the majority of people, in fact, the majority of people in general, I was going to say the majority of non-comic fans, but the majority of people in general, Superman doesn't have a story. Do you know what I mean? Superman is a character, but once you get past the he's been rocketed from the planet Krypton. There's no narrative that people really can latch onto mm-hmm. that can be told in a movie. Mm-hmm. Superman's strength is the fact that it is a never-ending battle. He has vi- popular villains that people know about, but no one's like, well, remember that one time that Lex Luthor had this plan. Even the Superman, Superman the movie, the plot is really secondary to the appearance of all the familiar characters. Right. And so I think what a TV show does is essentially allows you to enjoy those characters on a regular basis in a way that a movie doesn't. Yeah, or 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 even I, I, I think I'll refine that a little bit. The essentially static nature of a TV show where nothing ever moves forward or changes much parallels what happens with Superman, which tends to work at his best when nothing ever really changes. Like you've got the situation with him and Lois and, you know, everyone tries and to varying degrees in various media to move that stuff forward. And it's like, everyone likes the situation. I'm not sure that anyone really ends up enjoying it when they start to change or resolve the situations. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think Superman is, I mean, Superman, like that, the only character where that's true I mean, there, there's a lot of conversation about, you know, DC hitting the reset button on, on everyone. Right. Um, and, and getting back to old status quo. But I'm not necessarily sure that's really... I mean, yes, it's true, but I, I think they're doing so so that they can go somewhere else with it. I think Superman's one of the few characters where you can't really change the status quo without breaking the character in a way. Or maybe not breaking character, breaking the audience's expectations from that character, maybe. Well, maybe. I mean, I I think that's I think you know, Superman and Lois Lane have been married in official comic continuity now for a tremendously long time. That is, in theory, the status quo, I guess. And yet, yeah, I, I, I think that's the thing. You can't. I mean, as much as Marvel had their whole, you can't divorce Spider Man. I mean, you could. You could easily divorce Spider Man because Spider Man is supposed to be like a flawed human being and a bit of a loser. That like I've got no problem with Spider Man being divorced. You can't divorce Superman. Now that Superman is married, you can't. Like you can't do anything with it because you can't kill us off. Right. And you can't divorce him. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you. There's no way you can get out of that now. Right. 
Right. No, I know. Which is and one you, of you the things. You can't even really reboot the character either. Mm. Not, well, I mean, they could, but I think you're going to be left with so many more people ex- expecting it to end up with Lois and Clark getting married again. Right. Because that's become the status quo. Like, I, I think they're now locked into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I mean. You know, you kind of look at Superman as your dad anyway, so I don't think anyone's really got a problem with Superman being married the same way they did Spider-Man being married. Uh, I... Well, it's you. Except me. Have a problem? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I've talked about it. It's not necessarily a problem because, on the one hand, I do agree. The idea of Superman as your dad is kind of a a, is part of to me of why the character, what's powerful about the character and why why it works. Um, But you know, I think I I actually did write in in a Savage Critic somewhere about the eternal triangle between Superman and Lois and Clark. Uh, obviously not an eternal triangle because it got resolved, you know, over a decade ago. But to me, that was one of the more interesting things about the character. That 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 ended up making the character weirdly resonant um, and interesting in a way that is is difficult because the more you explore it instantly, the less interesting it gets. But as kind of a big, weird, unresolved you know, almost like Wolverine's origin, you know, which again has been undone, you know, as this element of mystery, I thought there was, there was so many different ways that it, it made, it ended up making the character of Superman, like a, a weirdly, a a, a potentially very deep character, you know? I, I agree and disagree at once because I think the problem with the eternal triangle is it's so close to making Superman a dick. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, no, but it is like there's because there's this element of Superman is always lying to Lois, mm-hmm. and I'm not even talking like 1950s Superman goes out of his way to lie to Lois. Oh is, yeah, 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 but, exactly. But um, it's interesting. But I think the moment, literally, the moment you start to address it, you're caught in the the contradiction between Superman standing for truth, justice, and the American way, and Superman being a liar. Right. Well, and I think I think that's I think it's real. It is an interesting subtext, but I mm-hmm. think as, as soon as you make it anything other than subtext, you're fucked. Yeah, well, I think the trick is you make it subtext, but you also can do a way to make it. It's kind of it to me. It's sort of that that um, that question about Batman. Like you know, is Batman crazy? You know, essentially, is he crazy or is he? not you know is he haunted by his parents when he goes out and fights crime every night or isn't he you know and so there's the whole thing of like yes batman is like a you know a barely stifled psychotic or no batman is you know a a dude who has transcended his pain and is making sure that it doesn't happen to anyone else because it's a hook and it's a question that each writer has to answer i think that it ends up being a way for um, for a writer to create sort of a definitive take on you know their version of Batman. They sure, have to but, answer but I, that question. You never have a question that you have to answer with Superman. You know, but that, the the Lois Clark Superman triangle can't be that question because it's not a question. You different. You can have different interpretations of is Batman insane or is he super sane. Right. You could not have a different interpretation of is Superman lying to Lois. To protect his identity, no, no, because no, no, he no, no, is. No. It's it's a it's, it's a, you know it's not uh it's not Schrodinger's cat. 
There, there, there's no, no multiple answers to it. I, I totally disagree with you there. I, I actually think there's many different ways that you can lay that out. You know, it's like, because to me, there's a, there's, you can do the Superman is a dick, you know, thing. You can have sort of the Michael Fleischer answer of like, Superman is basically punishing Lois Lane for his mother abandoning him, which is an awesome yeah, but, entry but, but, but in the it, Superman encyclopedia. That's going to be completely out of nowhere for every child reading it. I wonder who likes Luther is. What? Superman's doing what? Oh, yeah. I was so glad that I did not read that entry when I was 10, because the way that Fleischer breaks down like Superman's like psychosis, his Freudian analysis of him absolutely fascinating but but totally would have horrified me as a 10 or even 12 or 32 year old um but so my thing is is or you can take it where it's like superman is this guy who's kind of he loves lois lane but he can't he can't have her love him as superman you know what i mean like lois lane has to be essentially has to be able to love the worst of us, not the best of us. I completely agree, but in every single interpretation, Clark is still lying to Lois. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can have multiple reasons for lying to Lois, but he's still lying to Lois. So, but, it's, but, but it's not it's not a, is Batman insane or not? Because it, the, is Clark lying to Lois question is always Yes. No, 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 no. But that's because you're framing things. In other words, I, I'm sorry. Instead of the, the version of why does Batman go out and fight crime every night is why does Superman lie to Lois about his secret identity? That, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's not so much, you know, because otherwise, you know, it's like it's not is Batman going out to fight crime every night? Well, the answer is always yes. So there's no question there. It's, it's, the, why, it's the why of it and, and how the each creator answers that why at least for themselves subtextually is part of what can help make the character be resonant to them and put something in there apart from okay now i've got to have like superman punched in the junk by kryptonite man now you know i mean it and so you end up with you get the the superman is a dick stories are incredibly entertaining they're very wrong but they're pretty goddamn hilarious to read you can also get the sort of you know i really love the that um that carrie bates story from the 70s where like superman like loses his power and as clark kent he starts romancing lois lane like it doesn't necessarily fall into my theories of of what's going on there but it was it was it was a great little story and the idea that everybody's got some hook into it i think makes it something that that gives gives a um you know it just gives it something some sort of tangibility some actual tang to it i think it's very telling in that regard that that when morrison did do all-star superman he did not have them be married he did keep the they are separate he's not telling her what's going on with that and i think but, that, but at the same time he did have clark tell Lewis. yeah but dude but that's my point, is he does have her tell him, but he also does set it up. It's not like he's dealing with the marriage status quo, what do I oh, do? No, 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 I agree. Um, I, I, that's not true. I semi-agree, because he told her at the end of the first issue, and I think that, honestly, Lois was the, the part of the Superman mythos that he was less interested in that entire series. I, I think that he could have, if he had chosen, 
had Lois and Clark married, and it wouldn't have made a significant difference. Oh, I so disagree. I so, so, so disagree with what's going... With everything else that ends up in that, because if nothing else, you don't have those great, like... Superman Superman can't compete with like Samson and Hercules for Lois Lane's hand if they're married. You oh that's I mean? that's true. I'd actually completely forgotten about that. You're so, you are right. I I am I'm bowing to your superior knowledge. <laughs> well that's never going to happen again. So uh <laughs> Hey t- talk about Morrison and um Is Batman Crazy. Have you read Return of Bruce Wayne Part Two? No, I haven't even read part one yet. Oh Jeff Lester, you have to read it. It's I um I someone at Techland uh, I can't remember who made the point that it is the ultimate on Batman comic. And if the first part where Bruce Wayne is an amnesiac caveman isn't on Batman enough for you, the second part is amazingly, wonderfully Grant Morrison setting out to write the Batman comic to piss off everyone who thinks Batman should be an urban vigilante story. It is stunning. Are, are flying saucers involved? Do you want me to ruin it for you? No. Because really, flying saucers aren't involved, but they're pretty much the only thing. (laughs) (laughs) I still want to ruin it for you, but I also don't because I want you to read it. Well, I will pick it up. It's just I haven't been into the comic book store. It's it's so good. Yeah? (laughs) Yeah. I'm surprised. I honestly thought the series was going to be Bruce Wayne is for some reason jumping between time periods. But he's still Bruce Wayne, and you know he's essentially just like a very capable Batman throughout history, mm-hmm. and it's really not. Oh wow! Okay, because really, that's also really what I was not. thinking. Interesting. Okay. Um, I, I'm trying to think why I can say that won't spoil it. Well, for one thing, he doesn't know he's Bruce Wayne. He doesn't know who he is. Oh, interesting. Okay, that which I, I sort and, of and makes also, sense. To I should me, say I it really ties in with Final Crisis more than you think it does. Mm, really. Um, yes. Huh. That I'm not surprised because, of course, that whole brilliant reveal in in Batman and Robin with that extra corpse um, really paid off really well. So I, yeah, I that that was that was a great reveal. I totally didn't see that coming, and yet it made perfect sense when he said it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's going on in Return of Bruce Wayne is the same thing. Wow. It, at first of all, you're like, well, that's just stupid, and then the more you think about it, you think, no, that's really really smart. That sounds great. I, I, yeah, it's it's one of my great regrets that I was not able to get into the store and pick up books, um, so that we could we could talk about some of this, some of that. The um, the other thing that came out from DC recently that really surprised me, mm-hmm. uh, Legacies, the new Len Wein series. Mm-hmm. I I really liked it, and I totally didn't expect it. I I'm really kind of surprised by how good it seemed. Huh. Interesting. Um, it's it feels very much like this is DC's version of Marvels. Which oh, wow. you know, I, I can completely see. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this is DC's version of Marvels that has art that pretty much looks like Joe Kubert. Wow. I mean, it's, it's Kubert inks over, I think, Andy Kubert is. Yeah, Andy Kubert's doing pencils and Joe Kubert inks. Um, and it's just lovely. It, it's. it's uh, the first issue is the pulpy Justice Society characters, but seen from the point of view of a regular guy. Huh. Um, and it's just really. It's surprisingly good, surprisingly strong. Well, that I'm really glad you said that. I will definitely throw that in the pull pile because that sounds great. So that that's that's my recommendation. That's my comic recommendations, Jeff. (laughs) Hey, have you read Sparta USA? I read the first issue and it did absolutely nothing for me. 
I read the first issue because a couple of people were talking about it, and I I have to say, and I think that make of this of what you will, is I believe that David Lapham has created the prez of the new millennium. I oh, oh good. Yeah, exactly. Everyone else is like, oh, Jesus. And and you know what? Honestly, they're free to take it that way. But as somebody who actually loves how apeshit Prez was, I've read the the two – well, I have all three – first three issues. I've read like two and a half of them. I'm impressed at how unbelievably fucking apeshit Sparta USA is. I, and- I just don't get David Laffin as a writer. I don't – I everything I've read, I can see the craft, but I literally – just don't see why people love it as much as they do. Oh my god, and do you include stray bullets in that? Yeah. Okay, this is the part where I get to do the oh, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, really, it's it's one of these things where I, I feel like I'm missing like some something in my genetic makeup. I know so many people whose opinions I respect who are like, David Lapham is a genius, and I just do not see it. I, I loved his stray bullet stuff, and it it went through a couple of permutations. There were some stuff that I thought was off and then it would be back on. And I, I would think that it would be brilliant. I have not, to be honest, been particularly impressed at anything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to think it was like, he had that Batman detective comics mega arc that I gave up after maybe three or four issues. I wasn't impressed with. He had some Punisher miniseries thing, daredevil Punisher miniseries thing that I gave up on. Other Marvel stuff. Yeah, I mean, generally his stuff generally leave, leaves me pretty cold because I kind of feel like it has it has the brakes on, you know? Mm-hmm. Sparta USA is very, very fucking weird, and I really appreciate the hell out of that. I mean, I don't necessarily know if it works, doesn't work. What I love about it is it's not subtle, and it is really interesting. It is really fucking weird. Um and it kind of does have that feeling to me of like one, one of the things that I love about Prez is that it's somebody sitting down and writing sort of a comic comment satirical commentary on America that you just you are not sure if the person has actually ever been in the country you know like that, that, that's how i felt about prez and looking at sparta i kind of see where he's going with stuff i mean you've got a character that looks like a red character and a character that's all blue and it's like okay is there going to be another white character is this a red state blue state kind of thing and he's got everything built up around like football and fertility and infertility it's unbelievably fucking weird and it it does seem like i kind of see how it takes like a certain view of the suburbs or some aspect of american culture that i'm only vaguely aware of and then blows it up into these really strange shapes i and so consequently i just have i just read it kind of going like where did this come from and um and and i kind of i and for that regard i i want to recommend it just because people do like having comic books where they're like issues, you know, where it's as much the idea of like, I am seeing something that's unbelievably batshit and I cannot look away. I don't know if that Sparta USA goes all the way up to that scale, but it is, it is a goddamn interesting read. It, it reminds me a lot of 
the minks and prez and a whole bunch of other stuff that tended to flop badly in the marketplace. I, I loved you're talking about the Peter Milligan series, Minx? Yes. I love that series with a truly unholy passion. In part because I read it back in the nineties, um, after reading a book by Deborah Levy called Billy and Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Billy and Girl and the Minx and Girl Peter Milligan series. Mm-hmm. They are like three versions of the same story. Um, and yeah, so if you like the Minx, you should really track down um, Bill and Girl by Debbie, uh, Deborah Levy. Interesting. Uh, let me write that down, actually. Uh, by Deborah Levy? Yes. Who I believe is a, a poet who writes novels in her spare time. Um, it, I know it's out in America. It's hilariously out in America under um, young adult literature. <laughs> which when you read you'll understand and also not because there's parts of it that you're like this is completely not young adult literature uh, <laughs> p- p- people are set aflame that's all I'm saying wow people are doused in petrol and set aflame it is not Twilight um, it's a great book though it's a really good book um, and you can tell that a poet wrote it if that makes sense like the, yes. the beauty of the language mm-hmm. is half the joy of the book that's great um, tend to be the books that I enjoy the most. Talking about Wildstorm comics, I got sent a, a preview copy of A God Somewhere, which is John Arcudi's, um graphic novel, his, his quote-unquote new take on superhero myth uh-huh. that he's doing for Wildstorm. It's really interesting. Uh, it, it's They're making a big deal of it being like an original graphic novel, and it's not. It's quite clear for a four-issue miniseries they have issued as a trade paperback first. Interesting. Like, it actually goes chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four. Each of the chapters right. is 22 pages in length. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you yeah, know, this is, who are you fooling? This is quite clearly four issues here. You thought you'd issue it once. Uh, it's really good. Uh, and I'm kind of surprised because the idea of a whole new take on the superhero myth mm-hmm. makes me kind of want to gouge my eyes out when someone says it like that. Uh, yes. It's, if you approach it just as a story, <laughs> right. um, it's, it's really nice. It's. Mm-hmm. I've not read much Mercury stuff. I, I'm not a BPRD reader, mm-hmm. um, but I was surprised by the um, ambiguity of it. Hmm. it. It it reads it reads in a really strange way, like uh, something Steve Gerber might have come up with if Steve Gerber was coming around today. Interesting. Well, of course, that's that that is the the just the right way to push the. Yeah, I, I realized that when I was in the middle of saying it, I thought like, I I guaranteed a sale to Jeff. <laughs> uh, I'll actually I'll mail you my copy just in case like you don't like it because like I said it's a graphic novel so I don't want you to pay twenty five dollars for it to like um, yeah well I just lose some my copy here it's twenty five dollars right um, is it, so it's a it's a it's a marketed as an OGN hardcover yes. then? At that oh, point? no, it's not, it's not a hardcover, it's a paperback. But it, um, the cover actually says, I got somewhere an original graphic novel. And like I said, you read it and it's really not. It's quite clearly a trade for a series that was never issued. Okay, so let me just make sure that I'm understanding you. Is it is it only 96 pages? Is it four or uh, eight uh, pages? It's... Da, 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 da. Well, there's a lot of records. Ah, maybe it's longer. It's it says 193 pages. Oh, 193. Well, then it's got to be, like, if you cut that up by 22 pages a pop, that's, you know, like, how, how eight, long is, eight issues how long, or something? How long is each chapter, then? Mind you, I'm looking at it now, and there's quite clearly chapter breaks. Because like, wow. I oh, can okay. cut... No, I, okay, each each chapter is about 36 pages. 
Oh, it's thirty six pages. Yeah. Okay. So, so and there and there's four of them or five of them? There's four of them. Wow, okay. Okay. So that's uh that's uh, there, there, there's, a, there's a lot of background material in there as well, including, and this is the other giveaway, they've got cover sketches, mm-hmm. as in certain parts of the story. Well, I'm, I, I'm kind I, of... Other of the giveaways, yeah. Yeah, although I'm very fascinated, like, it's very... I, I, I'm, I'm quite curious that they actually did, like, they must have changed gears at some point. Like, they got two chapters, you know, two issues in, and rather than deciding to do it as a limited series or something because I, I i'm really shocked that that particularly wildstorm would actually get four issues in the bag before soliciting you know as a graphic novel you know what i mean like it would just seem like the sort of thing that um you know normally it seems like they get an issue or two issues in the bag and then they start rolling forward on it like they must have been worried about how many issues they were going to have done well, it, it might also be because if i was reading this in single issues I probably wouldn't have made it past the first one. Mm. Interesting. Um, I, it's a story that definitely builds. It's a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, I'm, I'm leaping through it now, even at the end of the second, even halfway through the story, I'm not sure it would have continued. The, the, idea, the idea to issue it as one, I'm looking through it now, it might be that it's planned as a prestige format. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would think that would make sense with the 36 page count, right? Uh, but it's, uh, it, it's it's a really interesting read, and I think the, I think putting it out as a, an OGN is the right, mm-hmm. apart from costs, because twenty five dollars. This is when I just seem old. Twenty five dollars feels really expensive for a book that length. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, 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 no. I, the, I agree. the one thing that keeps me away from Marvel's trades is, is the price. I would mm-hmm. be all over some of their books mm-hmm. if they were mm-hmm. cheaper. I but I can't in my head think this is worth thirty dollars. Yeah, no, I, I just, for me, anything over that 1995 price point has to have some, like, either a ton of material or a hardcover or something that, you know, that that seems extra. But anything over 20 bucks, like, at that point, I really do just start kind of bulking. Like, you've, you've got to bring something into it. So, yeah, I do have to say, like... Four chapters, thirty-six pages. If you said that it was super good, I, I was, I would dashed out. And it's so funny. Like nineteen ninety-five, yeah, I'll, I'll drop that money on it. But like twenty-five bucks, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. And and it's only five dollars difference, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. But but, but, but it's it like you are like twenty-five bucks. No, what? <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I, I'll mail you my copy. Cause I, I'll, I'd be really interested to see what you think about it. Okay, that sounds that sounds fabulous. I think. Um, and I can also mail you a copy of Return of Bruce Wayne issue one, which for some reason I have three copies of. <laughs> I also have three copies of um, Neil Young's Greendale. Oh, my, three copies! Three you copies. Son of a bitch! How did you end do, up with do three you copies? Wa- do you want it? I, I'm not really sure. I mean, you they, gave a I, review they, of it, they, you know. They've, and they've it, given me um, uh, advanced copies, and then I got a copy of the final version this week. You know, I, I don't remember if this ends up being something that we ended up discussing on our last episode. Um, By which you mean the episode we're, we're not releasing as opposed to the episode about Lost. Which may be the episode that we're not releasing. I'm not exactly <laughs> sure yet. I, I would love to do a quick wrap-up on that, too. Um, but, uh, yeah, somewhere in our last episodes, I, I don't remember if I if I talked about this, but I'm really if it was, I'm really bad with review copies. Like, people send me review copies. I have very few of them. I have yet to review an actual review copy, and I feel like a turd for it. 
you know. Well, I I, I will mail you uh, one of the copies of Green Deal as well. So I'll, I'll put a care package together for you, <laughs> which would be lovely. Which would uh, be lovely. Yeah, because like, Green Deal's Green Deal's just odds. I, again, I'd be really interested to see if you get more of it out of it than I did. Um, I would like to check it out. I, I have a sneaking I would kill for a comparison of Sparta and Green Deal. Oh, okay. Well, and that I, actually and I think be you'd be able to do that. I think there's enough crossover that you'd be able to do that. Ugh, you are a genius because that totally it writes itself, and yet nobody wants to read it. You know, I mean, not not my piece. That may <laughs> be the truth as well. Exactly but... why I want you to do it. <laughs> okay, so. Um... But so wait, you... we, we, were, we were going to talk about something for a second, weren't we? Like way back when, like half an hour ago. Yes, half an hour ago, we were going to actually start this entire uh, thing ta- sort of talking about uh, the rise of Arsenal and Hibbs's amazing oh, review. Oh, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Which was a stunningly good review that almost does the opposite job. <laughs> I, well, I want to read the comic because of his review. I know, and this is this is kind of the thing that I, I was sort of getting at a, a little bit earlier, in a way, with Sparta USA and, and some other stuff. Is like, what? I I do worry. Like all of us, all the people on the internet who spent all this time talking about, oh, shame on UDC, and stop dragging down the media, and stop stop blatantly like you know trolling for attention something like this comes out and i swear to god like i i i read hibbs's review and i'm like i want to read that fucking book now and i feel like the comments were all filled with people going i will take two please you know i mean it's really odd i I, it does it point to something are we are we all hypocrites on the internet like it's what oh no there's there's two things going on here one everyone on in the comments is saying i'll buy two is does not mean it (laughs) <laughs> well, true. Uh, and two, everyone complains, and, and I, I kind of got into this with, with the, the little, you know, dramatic sounding Lost podcast, um, about, you know, DC, stop driving down the medium and everything. DC is a business that is trying to do what works. Right. And you can hate them for killing characters off, and you can hate them for everything they do. But if sales increase because of that mm-hmm. you're telling them that it's okay to do it oh yeah you're and, encouraging and, them. I, I i think that there's this strange thing that's going on where dc is getting a lot of shit for essentially just trying to sell some fucking comics and if, <laughs> and if you want them if you really care enough about dc's soul or or the future of the comic medium or whatever you don't complain about it on the internet. You buy some comics. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it's entirely counterproductive to... I don't want to say it's entirely counterproductive to talk about things that are terrible. But it's entirely counterproductive to make them something that someone wants to read. I think more people picked up the Titan special because of all the controversy over Ryan Choi's death than mm-hmm. ever would have picked it up before that. Uh, yeah, right, right. And all that's doing is telling DC, you can create comics that will be more controversial and therefore sell more, and that's all you really care about. Right. You know, I I, I, I can see the point. Ah, ah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a fan of 
the idea of saying you shouldn't talk about something that's bad. I think if something is bad, you're perfectly within your rights to say, what is this? It is not good. Right. But I think you've got to watch... I think you've got to be very um, determined in how you address it. I think if you address it in the, have you seen this? This is appalling. Have you seen this? You should read this. It is appalling. All you're doing is driving up sales. Well, but, and see, this is the part that kind of, where I get a little trepidatious is I'm kind of aware of that. Um, I'm just sort of surprised that, I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I, I think I rescind where I was going with that because yeah, the, you you basically have it. I I feel very strongly about being able to write about stuff that's terrible and being able to write about stuff that's terrible in in an entertaining way. I mean, I think Hibbs's review is great. I think it's, uh, it's great, but I think the problem with Hibbs's review is I I genuinely did think I can't believe it's that bad. I want to read it. Yeah, but I do not think that that is Hibbs's fault. I think that that's kind no, of like I, 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 what I, I said I about Sparta USA is I think that generally people are, I mean, you know, comics is way behind the sort of stuff that people are watching on the internet as far as gasoliness goes, but we still do have that element of I want to see something that's absolutely insanely crazy that, that, and that's why I'm here. That's why people read comic books. You know, I don't yeah, think that but, that's. But there's, I want to see something that's absolutely insanely crazy, and there's, I want to see something that will outrage me. And they're different things. I, I want to see something insanely crazy. I want to see something imaginative. I want to see something that I couldn't have considered myself. That is not the same as I want to see something that I will be offended by. Right. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I, I can be offended by things I wouldn't have considered. Fine, but when I when my I want to see something I wouldn't have thought of impulse kicks in, it is not in the direction of that I will then feel appalled by. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I totally get it. But I mean, again, I I do think that 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 means that the onus is kind of on us to keep track of that. Not like say, like you said, there's a danger when Hibbs reviews a book like that and draws attention to it. Um, and there's there's a there's a danger when when DC puts it out the door. But you know, for me, like a good example would be Mark Miller's comics. Is I pretty much just stopped reading them after that one issue. It was that one issue of Civil War where I'm like, I'm not going to buy any more issues of Civil War. And people are like, huh, wait, really? Wait, 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 what was that? What issue? Uh, I think it was. I think it. I don't know. I I don't know if it was. I think it was the issue after after Black Goliath just got killed for absolutely no reason whatsoever. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't really enjoying the issue up to that point, and I'm like, I just, I'm just going to stop buying this. And people are like, Oh yeah, right, you're really going to stop buying it. You love it. You well, know? well, that, that's be- I mean, that's because of the internet. I am so appalled that Marvel has raised their prices. I will stop buying all comics ever. I am so appalled that blah blah blah. I will stop buying comics ever. It, right. It, it's become a cliche. It has. It that, has. That's, so, what people, that's what people are responding to instead of you saying anything. Well, yeah, I know. It, well, it, this was several. This was civil war. This was several years back. I'd like to think that I was ahead of the mock outrage <laughs> wave. I, I, I was genuine when I said that. I was an early adopter of the mock of outrage. outrage. <laughs> yes. Um, but you know, for the most part, I mean, it was like that. Uh, I think I ended up on the old man Logan stuff because I ended up enjoying Miller's first Wolverine thing. I quit that after it seemed like bullshit, and I haven't didn't pick up Kickass, did not pick up. That's, there's a whole bunch of stuff with, with uh, Mark Miller. A, a lot of his stuff is bullshit. 
Yeah, it really is. And so, but there was kind of that, to me, there's kind of that thing of like, well, there's bullshit, but it's the kind of bullshit that draws, you know, that knows how to draw a crowd. In other words, I, I honestly feel like DC stuff, I mean, some of some of the shit that, that's coming out the door, and I can't help but lay it at Dan DiDio because it's feet, because some of it sounds super clumsy the way that Dan DiDio's shit was. Hey, I'm, I'm talking to Dan next week, so watch what you say. Well, yeah. <laughs> I will. I, I'm going to tell him. I'm going to be like, hey, so I was talking to Jeff Lester the other day, and he said, you're clumsy. <laughs> Dude, totally. I mean, I don't. I don't want to screw <laughs> things will, up with you. That will be the end of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's it. I don't want to like like have a problem for you, but I, you know, I mean, I don't fucking care. I, I don't think I've ever ended up talking to him. And I mean, it's kind of if he if he won't listen to somebody like Brian Hibbs, who's like, dude, I'm selling your product. Listen to me. I can tell you what what works. If he's not going to listen to him, he's not going to be listening to me, the guy who's like buying one comic. Like Rise of Arsenal, I I was like I I have no I it, it's like the Titan special. I'm like I'm not I might pick it up and flip through it in the store. They've managed to get me to the point of picking it up and flipping through it, which is half the battle. But I don't think they're going to win the other half, at least in my front, and maybe not with the the rest of the internet. You know, I I just feel that the well, stuff is. Yes. I think Titans and Rise of Arsenal um come from the same place and. This is, again, where I'm like, am I going to say this before I talk to Anthony in case he hears this? Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a place of desperation. It's a place of, I think a lot of DC stuff is reactionary and they're trying to work out how, they're trying to sort of retrofit how Marvel has had the success they're having. Mm-hmm. And they are doing the wrong things. Essentially, I, I think that, the, the, that it's literally trial and error, but it's the error part of it. Well, you know, actually, I think that what it is is that I feel like DC is trying to replicate the hits that DC has done in the past, recent past, and and they're still confused on it, you know? Because I definitely feel like a great example. All this stuff, the rise of Arsenal, all the to me, that's just so Brad Meltzerian, you know? I, like, it's I, funny that you say that because I think the cry for justice uh, was James Robinson being told to write Identity Crisis again. Exactly. Exactly. Because I feel no, 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 like I, I remember thinking that as I was reading it. I was thinking, wow, he's he wants to write identity crisis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or or not even he wants to. He has been told to write identity. He's crisis. been told to write identity <laughs> because crisis. Because I don't exactly. think I don't think James Robinson's uh, writer DNA would make him think I want to write another identity crisis. I, right. I think he, as a writer, is kinder, for want of a better way of putting it. I think I think he's more sentimental in the point in. I don't know, I just get something something about Jim Robinson's writing that I don't think he would be like, I'm going to kill off uh, Red Arrow's daughter. I don't mm-hmm. think he'd do that. And, and I, I, I say, oh, yeah, exactly. And also I say that's the person who, you know, has read the Sand, uh, Starman issue where he kills off half the Justice League. But um, I don't know, I, I, I just think he's a... Uh, and welcome everyone to my weird um projection on Jim Robinson. <laughs> I I think that there's something about him that is more reasonable slash honorable than I'm going to make torture porn starring babies. I think he I don't think he'd have that much problem doing it starring adults, but there's something in particular about killing off the baby 
that just strikes me as unsubtle enough not to be him. See, this is what I think that it is, is exactly where you say subtle. Like, my my feeling is that Meltzer, you know, like, and Johns, there's a lot of people, and God knows, like calling calling Jeff Johns's work subtle is, is, is perhaps not putting it right. But basically there's there's a bit of new if you can get the nuance in there you know like anyone in in theory anyone can write a comic book in which people get tortured and killed and it's and it's pretty i mean it's not difficult to do um it is incredibly difficult to do you know sort of quote unquote well um and by well i mean to varying degrees of effectiveness. One of the things that's kind of amazing about Identity Crisis is I do think that there are scenes in that book that work pretty well, despite the fact of when you read the plot, when you look at the like the various lookbacks and stuff like that, that thing is an unbelievable mess. You know, I mean, and it flops pretty badly in the ending, but there's enough scenes and pieces. It's like it's like when Meltzer was doing his Justice League there was stuff in that that was clearly some pretty dumb shit. I also felt that there was stuff in there that that managed to work because, you know, for whatever reasons. It's the same thing with, I think, Robinson. Like, when you say, like, I feel like I can tell when Robinson would do this or when Robinson would not do that. And it's pretty funny that, you know, obviously we're looking at a book where his name's on the cover, and yet clearly there's kind of that sense of, you know... So to me, I really do feel like the Dio has this idea of like, I, we have a formula. I know it works. I headed up Identity Crisis. It sold like gangbusters. We're just not doing it right. But his idea of what's going wrong in the process, I think he seems to think that it's not, you know, atrocity-erific enough, you know, maybe, as opposed to the idea of bringing it in the opposite direction, which is you kind of have to have a little more nuance. You have to have a little bit of, of subtlety about it. You can't but, just... But I, I agree with you in everything apart from what you've just said at the end, because I'm not uh-huh. sure you do have to have nuance. I think I think you can point to other books that have no nuance and yet somehow are more successful, um, not only in terms of sales, but in terms of reading experience. Right. Than, are, they... are they what? Are they, are they published by Marvel? Is that where you were going yeah, to go with it? Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a lot less subtle, less nuanced material coming out from Marvel mm-hmm. that I think DC would kill to try and understand. And <laughs> but but I, I, I genuinely think there's a, a lot of what's going on with DC is they're trying to work out how Marvel does it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I think I, you're I, probably I, I, I right. Think really publicly. And also really badly. <laughs> Which, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, mm-hmm. there's a, they're failing very publicly. And that's, I mean, that's a problem on multiple levels, but it's a problem because people are like, well, DC did this. But getting back to what I was, I was beginning to talk about before, um, mm-hmm. the last time we talked, I think there's, I, 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 my mind is still blown by people pointing to, um, Siege and saying that scene where Ares is torn apart by the century is torture porn done right. <laughs> and it's like, why? What makes that good and everything else bad? Right. 
uh, or the the Amazing Spider-Man story where the lizard eats his son. Like, what makes that good when other stories are are bad? And, and there's lots of um, self justification offered, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it it's it's rings hollow to me. And I, I, I think that there's a lot of outrage over what DC are doing, and DC are essentially just trying to do the same thing that Marvel are doing. For, for some reason, Marvel get away with it. Well, okay. One thing that I do want to say, because I think that you're absolutely right, is for those listeners who might be having the same problem on their end of the headset that I did, Graham was talking about the lizard eating his child, not the wizard with a W who's the guy from the Frightful Four. No, he's eating his child as well now, and I'm I'm joking. Um, (laughs) I was like, oh my god, what? I I could could hear the silence of you being like, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of terrified. I'm like, those fuckers. Um, Uh, Yeah, so so the lizard has has eaten his child in uh, a recent Amazing Spider-Man. Right, and this was—it's not just the people who weren't outraged by it. People were holding it up and saying, "This is how you do it right." And you know, my reaction is, in part, there is no way that you do that right. <laughs> <laughs> like the the entire concept of this is the story where a villain eats his son done right is insane to me. Uh, <laughs> but the other part is, why is it done right? What is what is right about it? that is wrong about the others. Uh, what is right about the century tearing Aries apart that is wrong about, you know, pick your Jeff Jones comic of choice where someone's arm gets torn off. Right. Where, where is the line? And I think that while we still have this, while people can still praise a comic where a character eats his son, mm-hmm. I think it is entirely hypocritical to then say DC's torture porn is wrong. Right. Well, I, I'm I'm kind of I. It's one of those things where I'm like, ah, if only we were able to have a spirited debate at this point. But of course, I mean, not only do I I'm pretty much agree with you, but considering I'm barely I'm not really reading any Marvel or and barely any DC, I'm clearly not the person who's going to be able to. To rally around, this, you know, a spirited this, is, this is where we need David Brothers because David Brothers is, is one of the fans of the lizard eating his son. Right. And so we need, uh, to, we need to, him to magically appear here and explain to me. I don't know. I just, I, I can understand the sense of, you know, I read this and thought it was well done and tragic. Mm-hmm. But that, does that make it good? Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, what am I missing as a reader? Okay, well, okay, let me step back and say, and may, you know, I, I will play devil's advocate here, as I'm oh, oh so comfortable with, is you can say, okay, the lizard, Spider-Man villain who's always had an undercurrent of tragedy for him. You know, it's like Kurt Connors has been this guy who's kind of had his fucked up life, and he's kind of, he's kind of a victim to his own villainous situation. And so it works pretty well with, with what I would call, you know, a, a, a standard Spider-Man motif is you have that element of feeling sorry for the villains, even as you're rooting against them. I think, you know, the original Green Goblin, well, once you find out that the Green Goblin is um, Norman Osborn and he's like, you know, a conflicted amnesiac sort of situation... The lizard is kind of in that. So the idea of taking the lizard and having him eat his son is something that is 
on the one hand, incredibly horrible. It reinforces how cold-blooded the the villain character of the lizard is, and it makes the hero, uh, sorry, it makes Kurt Connors, his alter ego, seem that much more tragic and sort of, you know, modernizes slash reboots the character in a way that keeps it true to who the character originally was. Um, and then the flip side of that would be, of course, depending on how far you want to go back, Arsenal was once a, was was basically the equivalent of Green Arrow's Robin, and you know a cheery little kid named Speedy who like shot boxing arrows, you know, and the idea that you would get him from there to here seems very much to run counter. In in other words, it doesn't modernize the character at all. It it sullies the character, and, and although it seems like it's splitting hairs. And there's lots of points where that argument doesn't necessarily hold up when you think about the fact that, you know, Speedy as heroin addict has been true far longer than Speedy as cheerful kid with the boxing glove arrow. Um, I would say that there's somebody who could say that, well, you look at one character and they they figured out a way to take the the essence of that character and and up it as opposed to pervert the nature of the character to make him seem uh, awesome, I guess. I am... I, I feel like I should just say nothing and just be like, <laughs> what do you think, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's, I, I, that's I, my I, devil's I, advocate. I don't know if that's true or not, but there we have yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see the point, but it's what I... I guess my response to that to be equally devil's advocate to you would be you know, why is why is doing what they're doing to Speedy slash uh, Red Arrow slash Arsenal slash whatever he's called these days um, why is that really different from what they're doing to the Lizard when the tragic heroin addict version of Speedy is as old as the Lizard? Uh, right. Like, like, because it's not real. Because it's not. I mean, sure, it's perverting the original intent of the character, but it's mm-hmm. who who here really honestly remembers the original intent of the character? He 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 is Green Arrow's heroin shooting up sidekick. That you know, Green Lantern is a dick, and he's being like, "What do you say to that? I won't stop him. Look, he's shooting up in front of you." Right. Right. Exactly. No, I, I dude, and and again, I can only answer, answer me that, Jeff Lester. <laughs> Well, and this is the problem with the devil's advocacy is I guess what I would say is I don't I don't believe like, I that don't the, care. No, 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 no. No, I think it's no, I think it's a brilliant point. I guess what I was going to say is to me what I want to underline is the fact that I feel that the stuff with the lizard is equally as cynical as what's going on with with Arsenal. I just think that I think that it's try it's um it just it ends up seeming better because it ends up working. Um, it, it ends up, it just ends up feeling more quote unquote natural. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a weird way of, I mean, I think this is the problem. Once a character gets broken, I think the, the dumbest thing you can do is try and continue to try and quote unquote fix the character. I mean, I think that's been the, it's like the Hank Pym problem. They keep coming back to that. They almost, I, I I don't even know what they're going to end up doing, whether or not they've managed to fully 
quote-unquote fix Iron Man because it sounds like they're not, you know, Bendis is kind of revisiting some of the Secret War, Secret War, the Civil War stuff, you know, in the new Avengers comic now that he's got the, the rebooted Tony Stark. Um, I, I, but I feel that gen, as a rule of thumb, like when you break a character, and I think they probably did break Speedy back when they turned him into a heroin addict, you can't really just keep going back to that well and going, oh, but we're going to make him awesome now. No, no, now we're totally going to redeem this character. No, 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 no. Here's a way to redeem him this time for sure. Like, I mean, obviously I'm wrong on this because by my <laughs> logic, they, they never would have... Obviously you're wrong. Well, I must be because otherwise Hal Jordan would still be, you know, Parallax or whatever. Yeah, but did Hal Jordan literally go fakes by them saying, oh, he's better? Right. You know what I mean? Like, there wasn't a... Al Jordan atones for all his sins and then relapses and then atones again. It was literally just, look, he's not dead. And it wasn't really him. Let's not talk about it anymore. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that's 50-50. I mean, you know, I mean, they're like, let's never talk about it again. Like, here is Parallax again. But they don't really say, okay, it really was Hal. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're returning to it. It's in this, um, this mindset of... Will it happen again? But remember, it's not really him. Right. No, no, no. no, no. With Arsenal, it's, you know, he's stressed, therefore he shoots up. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no sense of the character, not that there's no sense of the character has progressed, but the character progression is essentially something you're going to throw away in two seconds for cheap drama in order to redeem him again. Like, it's like, now he's gotten clean again. Right. No, I know, which is going to be, again, like nobody cared necessarily the first time or the few fans that did, did, that you've now lost by having him like do it again. And there's that idea of like, no, 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 but this time he's super awesome. It's like, yeah, that's just not going to work. And I do have to say, what's that? He's extra clean this time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He got super clean. Well, and there may be something where, I mean, um maybe this is we're not being aware of the apples to oranges inherent in the comparison of like having a villain be creepy and awful like the lizard it's harder to say that character's now permanently broken and will never work as you as it ha- as would happen if you do that with a hero like you know i mean like maybe a better comparison would be and here's here's why it doesn't really hold up the great the quote-unquote great thing about this entry in the Marvel Universe is you had a failed hero who continued that that basically even if, like, they could pretend that they redeemed him, but he's dead now, so you don't really have to worry about it. Maybe somewhat someday down the road it will, they'll bring him back, but one of the smartest things that I think they, they did at Marvel was by having the Sentry be the go-to awful thing once you got rid of the sentry, it's a lot easier to turn around and go, hey, the heroic age, we're bright and shiny now, you know, because because you had like a, an, an awful character doing awful things and then you just get rid of that character and then you can go, see, now we're all back to better. Now everything's better. Everyone's, exactly. Everyone's happy again. <laughs> Which, you know, it of course, obviously isn't the case, but... Um, you know, I think I think that there are some things. I mean, I'm I God damn! I have to say, I picked up the latest issue of Powers, like you know, issue three or whatever. This is 
Brian Bendis' own book. It's creator-owned. He can do whatever he wants. It's it's had mature readers on it from the very first issue, and I'm just sick of it. I really am. There was a panel there where I'm like, I never want to see a superhero porking another woman ever again. You know, like it's just right there. Like, wait, wait, what, what, what do you mean by another woman? Like, you never want to see a superhero having sex, or you never want to see a superhero having an affair? I don't. I, oh, sorry. It's just in Powers, there's this whole th- thing where at, at a certain point you had the idea that uh, someone with superpowers, if they have sex with someone who does not have superpowers... Oh, God, again? Seriously? Yeah, well, see, I, I, he's not even using this as a story point. It's just some sort of, like, um, the the to spoil the story, part of the reason... Yeah, I, I, I never yeah this particular arc had a murder mystery where like a character ended up being killed uh and it was another i don't remember if it was a hero or a villain but but the the basic gist of it um is that it, it broke down to uh the kid knew that the mom was fucking this super powered character and the dad knew it and had no choice but to go along with it because of the the nature of their relationship. So the kid just ended up killing the killing the the powered figure. So the the denouement, and it shows you how closely I read this that I cannot tell you whose relationship to whom any more closer than that sort of sketch. But you know they're breaking down the character in the interrogation room, and they end up you know the character ends up confessing. And he talks about, like, going up and, and spying on his mom, like, having sex with this super-powered character. And it's very much this super-powered sexy. It's just one panel, for Christ's sakes. But it has been this underlying motif throughout Bendis' issues from a certain point on where it's like the super, you know, where you get to see these super-powered characters having sex and there's, like, super-orgasms happening all over the place. And it just is. It just became so tedious to me. Good, good use I, of the words um, Bendis' issues, by the way. What's that? Good use of Bendis' issues. Yeah. When you're yeah. talking about his repeated use of super <laughs> characters having sex. That's right. That that yes, issues. Um. So ultimately, I was just tired of it, and and that's the thing. It's like. That was, like, I can't even follow Bendis on his own creative own title anymore, you know, <laughs> much less... <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, apart from everything that he's doing on those characters, the Marvel characters, which I just stopped following because I wasn't interested in, this was the book that I was like, okay, this is him doing his own thing. It's not him. It's not like I have preconceived notions of who these characters are. It's not him messing with my childhood. This is just something that I can take on its own terms. And on its own terms, I find it kind of... I find it, like, tedious and banal and, like, kind of, um, you know, either hacky or obsessed in a way that I find utterly, utterly dull now. I just don't think it's interesting. Um, and so for you're, me, you're you know, the, the thing that's really hard is, is, like, he's sort of part of what makes Marvel Marvel so much these days that I can't really defend Marvel because such a huge chunk of it is this one guy whose work... I've been really, really bored by for l- literally like two or three years now. You know? Yeah. I, I, 
I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I think that I think that Bendis, the ticks that you do not like about Bendis, shall mm-hmm. we say, are not because of the characters, but because of Bendis. Right. And it sounds like that is what you might have realized. That might have been your 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 um, discovery there. Yeah, it was that, kind that, of... that, that you're you're sort of thinking, well, I'm responding to bad Spence's work because I have preconceived notions of what these characters should act like, as opposed to it's just bad writing. Yeah, I think that's it. Or or kind of like my my whole feeling of like all my reasons for why I liked Bendis's stuff was it's like okay, I. I don't like him on team books, but I like him when he's doing solo work. It's like, okay, I don't like him when he's doing solo work, but I like him as long as he's doing Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay, I don't like him doing solo work or teamwork as long as it's, like, stuff that I grew up with, but his own stuff is okay, and now I just feel like the final level is, like, I don't really care about this shit anymore. It just feel it. It really feels banal is the only term that really comes to mind. It's really, really tedious to me. Um, and that's why, like you said, we need to have David brothers here because although I don't think he would necessarily defend Bendis, he might have a better argument up his sleeve for Marvel and why Marvel's successful apart from the idea that I think what you seem to be saying, which is Marvel is successful because Marvel's fans are going to stick up for Marvel more than DC's fans are going to stick up for DC. No, I think Marvel's successful because Marvel... Because they're Marvel. I think Marvel is... I think Marvel is successful because they are so much more successful that even with a certain amount of the audience being like, well, this is ridiculous, almost through force of will, they'll be like, no, it's okay. And people will be like, yes, it is okay. It's it's like a Jedi mind trick. Yes, exactly. That, and, that's what I, on, I honestly think that um, Marvel could put out. At this point, I think that Marvel could put out pretty much exactly the same comic as DC, and there would be less outrage. Right. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not that Marvel are doing a Jedi mind trick. Maybe it's the DC have just pissed off enough people that DC are getting a harder time. That no, but I, I think your point is is that DC or DC's pissing off people. Because DC's oh, I think I think DC are pissing off people because DC are trying to do Marvel, and they don't know how. That's the thing. I think if they were actually successfully doing Marvel, it'd be fine. But it's that they don't really know how to do Marvel, Hmm. and I I don't say that as if I'm like I'm what they should be doing is blah 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 because I have no idea how to do Marvel either. But right. Well, the thing that I think is interesting about this is Jeff Johns, It to me, does not do Marvel. He does his own thing, and yet his thing is close enough to what I think DC wants. I think DC would just want to, would be happy enough being able to do a Jeff Johns comic without Jeff Johns just because Jeff Johns can't write everything. Yeah, but I can, I can only think of two writers at Marvel who, who at DC who can do that. Right, and one of them you're going to say is Pete Tomasi. And the other one's Sterling Gates. Uh, is, is Sterling Gates? Yeah. Isn't he the one who did the Titan special, or no? Am I wrong? No, that's Eric Wallace who did the Titan special. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Sterling Gates is the guy who does uh, Supergirl, and he's the co-writer on the um, Last Stand of Krypton, and oh, okay, whatever the one that's just come out, War of Superman. Okay, and also right. he did like some you know small stuff for Blackest Night as well. He, right. He's he's a he is a Jeff Johns protege, but he is very good at doing Jeff Johnsy work. Well, like I said, I honestly think that that's 
DC would be happy enough to do that. And I think what I what impresses me, because I have to say, I, I mean, who knows what it would be like now, but I thought Jeff Johns' work at Marvel, when he did it, was pretty terrible and kind of off. And I think he's able to, to do what... He's able to strike the right balance at DC doing stuff that isn't quite Marvel and is closer to him. Um, and even though it drives people up a wall, it also... St- is popular and works. And like I said, I honestly feel that if DC could figure out, I think that's probably why, you know, we might end up seeing more work, like you said, for Pete Tomasi or for Sterling Gates and and anyone that they can figure out how to make do that. Apparently JT Kroll is not the guy who can do that. Although whether or not they still keep him on or or not, we'll see. I I wouldn't be surprised if they still keep him on because people are outraged. And so it's probably going to sell. Sure. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I mean, also, I think DC, and I'm not quite sure why this is true, but I think in terms of writers, DC uh, seem to meet a number of um, drones, a number of writers who pretty much just do what they're told Mm -hmm. in a way that Marvel doesn't. Marvel pretty much has, I mean, Marvel has some, but Mm -hmm. I can think of more writers at DC who people almost don't credit them with their own work because they're assuming that it's been editorial mandated. Well, yeah. And Kroll's one of those. Eric Wallace is one of those. I, I think that DC has at least the, the public face of, of that being um, standard operating practice in a way that Marvel doesn't. Right. Which is, which is, again, I think maybe Marvel people have that feeling of like, okay, this stuff isn't so editorial mandated. This is where what everyone wants to do. And therefore, it feels a little less cynical, even though I think that's, you know, the people at Marvel are, this is what I want to do, but I want it for cynical reasons, a.k.a. the Mark Millar uh, uh, justification. Um, whereas, you know, the I think the thing that's sort of frustrating at DC is the idea of like, yeah, Adam Beecham, like, you can't get that angry at Adam Beecham because all the stuff that went on with Batgirl, you don't really feel that it was him. You know, I mean, he signed the check off, you know, Sean McKeever, I think it's a, I I have a lot of goodwill for Sean McKeever, but I wasn't going to pick up anything that he read, that he wrote at DC, because there was that feeling of like, he's under the thumb of editorial. Well, what also happens is, I mean, clearly a lot of that's going on, because you look at the Joe Case interview, or you look at Sean McKeever did an interview recently, where he pretty much said the same thing. Uh Or Jim Robinson, who is... Again, you know, his star is rising at DC. We'll go to a convention and say, look, I'm really sorry that I killed off uh, Arsenal's daughter. But on the plus side, that they also wanted me to kill off other people as well, and I didn't. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, people just say that out loud. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think whether it's because it doesn't happen or whether because it's a, it's a different culture, you can never get a Marvel writer saying that. Even if a Marvel writer did something that they didn't want to do, you'd never get them in public at a Marvel panel on a convention say, look, I didn't want to do it either, but you should have said what they wanted me to do. Never. Well, uh, unless you're J. Michael Straczynski, who did say exactly But he that. said it when he left. Well, yes. He didn't say it when he was still working there. Well, no, although I, I, there was there was a bit of a lag. I mean, you know, he, he did say it, and obviously it was clear he was on the way out the door, but that wasn't... He still had a couple of issues of Thor lined up, and he had a few other things, although that stuff did end up ending on a truncated uh, note as well, as I recall. Yeah, um, didn't the, the Thor stuff pretty much, like, out of nowhere, was like, and now it's his finale! And everyone was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
mean, yeah. you tell it's hard to know which plan is only because they were like, you know, Kieran Gillen's doing the Siege Giants, and if we say he's doing the six months afterwards, he is. And <laughs> we've already solicited my fraction, but that's not happening anymore. Hooray! You know? Yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 I know. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I just, ha- I think, I, I think, it, um, you know. I think Marvel's either... a much better being the Mafia. I think he's going to counter against Marvel. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what their success is. Maybe their success isn't that they're not like the, the more creative friendly. Maybe they're better at being like more creative threatening. <laughs> that could very well be it. It could totally that that could be the case. Where it's yeah, it's not so much that people are like they they just have that thing of like uh, yeah, for God's sakes, I can't. I'm very very happy with the work that I did on Hulk. Very, very happy. Please release my children now. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it might be that, you know, it's not that they like the work. It's that they're more afraid of not getting the I think that could be the... I, well, I don't know. I mean, who's to say? It, there, there's something to be said for it. However, that being said, it you do get the feeling that there's a lot less turnover at Marvel than there is at DC. I yeah. mean, at least... Whether that's true or not, that's well, certainly I mean, my perception. Like, what is it? Teen Titans that just seems to run through writers at an incredible rate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that points to there's something very, very wrong in the system there. Um, you know, David Uzumari, who, who, who's, you know, super, super sharp, very little gets by him. He's always aware of stuff at DC. It, it seems, again, I don't know for sure. Maybe he also catches this at Marvel. But the amount of product that is solicited as one thing and ships as a, at an as another creative team at DC is staggering. Well, I, I think, uh, I, I mentioned this in Techland yesterday, I think DC is beginning to like publicly look like it's in trouble, um, not only with the CMX cancellations, which was a, a massive, if, if nothing else, a massive PR fuck-up. Oh, yeah. Big, big fumble. Uh, um, if only because you cancelled the titles a day after you've solicited them. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's stunning to me. But um, but the three ninety nine price point reveal. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it turns out that they really are retro soliciting books at a dollar more than they originally solicited them for, that's oh, wow. Have you? Oh, have you not heard this? No, no, okay, I didn't okay, know that. So, so the rumor is this, and this is from um, Rich Johnson, and DC have not confirmed it. But they have confirmed that later issues are going up in price. But the rumor is that um, starting in July, not August, books are going up in price. Wow, and that I think it's five books are going to be retroactively a dollar more expensive than they're solicited for. Holy crap! And if, if that is true, then that's a disaster. Right. I mean, that's that's embarrassing on a whole new level for DC, and DC should be pretty used to being embarrassed by this point. But yeah, that's that's just a nightmare if it's true. Well, I I would think that the retailers. I mean, unless is it is it one of those things where they've announced it and and people have to get basically revise their orders in like no, two no, days no, or no, something no, for the final no, order. Nothing, nothing has been mentioned yet, but at the same time, they're also not the final order caught up yet. Final order caught up is for uh, July is still six weeks away, something like that. Okay. Um, but it's what it looks as it. It's, uh, it's like the Mighty Crusaders and the New Green Lantern title and something else. Um, the second edition is all of a sudden at three ninety nine for 32 pages. And uh, Rich Johnson's like, and the first issues are going to have the price raises as well. There's no price jump in the second issue. I know this confirmed this. 
DC, wow. however, yesterday confirmed to Newsarama that they are raising some prices, but they didn't, either they didn't comment on or Newsarama didn't ask them about the retroactive thing. Wow. But if it's true, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, DC should be out in front of right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Holy smokes. I did not know. That is, that's, uh... That's that's quite a kettle of fish right there. I wonder. I sort of wonder. The, those two things make me um, make me really wonder if they if essentially that DC was told something <laughs> relatively recently that oh, they were not expecting. Yeah, between, between CMX and that, that really mm-hmm. needs to think at some point someone has said we've looked at your budget and you're not making enough money. Yeah, exactly. That that someone told them like, hey, you are going to be reviewed for your third quarter numbers, and they have to be at this level. We will not accept this. And they're like, okay, what can we do? We're gonna we're gonna axe the CMX books and not even waste money on promotion, production, anything. Just cut that stuff, and then we're gonna. If we raise these certain titles retroactively by three ninety nine, we'll be able to like when we're being reviewed for August, we'll be able to show enough of a profit. I I, I think something is definitely going on because not only that, there's also Zuda drops their competition aspect of the the website. Right, and I'm sure that's because that again was a very quiet and yet effective immediately change. They were just like, yeah, we're not doing competition anymore. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know, and that, that again is kind of like, really? Why? What happened? Well, to me, that sounds like they they actually sent out an announcement as to what that sort of. I'm not sure if no, I no, necessarily. No, no, no. That, that was on their blog. That wasn't an announcement. Wait, it was it was on their blog that they weren't doing it, right? Yeah. That's more of an announcement than canceling the CMX stuff or this, oh, no, this canceling, stealth recovery. Canceling CMX was a press release. Oh. Like, that was an announcement. Mm. Okay, so that was awesome. Well, all right, okay. So maybe I'm completely wrong here. Huh. Wow. Well, yeah. But no, so... I, I, I think changes are definitely food at DC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'd be really curious to see what happens. <laughs> It sounds to me like, yeah, there's some really interesting bottom line stuff. I, I would be really, I, I'll be really curious to see. It could very well end up me, being DC will have a really interesting last three months of the year, like a really interesting conclusion to this year. Um, if this stuff is happening now, like I said, I wonder if it's like they're trying to meet some numbers and those numbers are going to be looked at, you know, at a certain point and then depending on what comes out of that meeting, and this is just me, of course, entirely talking out my butt, and I'm impressively wrong when it comes to DC's bureaucracy anyway, it would be really fascinating to see what ends up happening with the last quarter of the year, where they're like, hey, good news, everybody. Um, Superman Loves Batman number one is going to be coming out as a deluxe five ninety nine book, you know, and uh, the love story that we've always wanted to tell is finally here, you know. <laughs> Or maybe not. I'm I'm looking forward to Superman Rose Batman. It sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well I can't top that, so maybe we should probably uh, uh, wrap I, I this up. I have to tell you, I I may actually genuinely have to get back to work. Yes, no, that's kind of why I figured because <laughs> like, it has been go. a couple of hours. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this ran much longer. I was like, okay, Graham and I will just have a very quick, rushed, embarrassed... And, and we still, still haven't talked about half the things I wanted to talk about. 
Well, I, you know, you'll have to send me a list because I know that I wanted to cover. We wanted to cover the DC Marvel one, which I thought was a yeah, big one. Uh, I w- okay, very quickly, Lost finale. Oh right, Lost finale. Yes, this is kind of the bonus round. Well, thank God that it wasn't the 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 Man in Black wasn't beaten by the power of love. That that thank goodness did, for did that. You like right. It? Um, you know what? Honestly, I did, and I think that that is probably says something about my limits as a human being because I I do think that there was something that was there were there were there was a lot of cheats. It was super evasive, and I can see the problems with it. And yet, I liked it more than the Battlestar Galactica finale, even though I think it did a lot of the same things. I thought it did them better. I thought the conclusions for the characters overall, I ended up liking more. I pretty much thought it was the Battlestar Galactica finale, to be honest. I, I had the same reaction to that. I mean, I, I like it enough. It kind of mm-hmm. left me a bit flat the more I think about it. But mm-hmm. it was fine. I mean, I, and that's genuinely like the best I could say about it. It was fine. You know, the thing that I think was interesting to me is the Battlestar Galactica finale wrapped, and I'm like, I will never watch that show again. And Lost wrapped, and I'm like, I would watch that show again. I would totally watch this show again. And the thing that's weird about it is, is I would say that, that Lost arguably dropped more balls than Battlestar Galactica did. And I will actually even go out on a limb and say the finale, if you think about it too much, most of it was the same 10 minutes over and over and over again for like two and a half hours. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I did not feel that way about Battlestar. Whatever was, else was going on with Battlestar Galactica, it was not the same ten minutes. They had to hustle and book. And um, I, I'm fascinated by the way in which Lost ended up being hoist by its own structure. Its own, I would say petard, but I don't know how to pronounce that. You know, you said um, it correctly, so I think you're fine. Oh, okay, uh, in that. I think that if they didn't have the traditional lost structure of flashing between the island and the not island stories, they would have been able to wrap up this season better. And yet because they had that structure of like, okay, what do we flash away to? They had to come up with the the sideways universe and then they sort of had to make that the mystery kind of. But like I sort of felt like, in in uh, order to do all the other stuff that they would have had to do, they would have had to throw out, th- you know, basically they they were hampered by having half of each episode being cut to off the island shenanigans, and if they hadn't had that, they would have had to answer a lot more questions, and they would have they wouldn't have been able to stall stuff like the temple and a whole bunch of other things as badly as they did. So, um. So I kind of felt that, frankly, considering they had to play out the cards that they were dealt, I actually thought the resolution of the Sideways universe and, again, the the ability of the actors, I thought there was a lot of really, really strong performances in that finale of Lost that really kind of made it work, I think, better than, for me, like I said, the Battlestar Galactica did. Even. Yeah, and yet for the most part, like I, I still didn't love it. Love it. I thought it was okay. I, I said this on Techland as a joke, but I'm actually serious. I think the Chuck season finale was a better series finale than the Lost was. And I will go you one better and say that I think that the the series finale of Thirty Rock was a better series finale than the last finale was. Uh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I wish I could. Twenty four for a second. 
No, I didn't. I don't follow twenty four. No, neither do I. <laughs> so yeah, I wish I could have said that because then I'd say no, no. I have to say twenty four much better than Chuck. Um, no, actually, Edie told me she watched the finale for Chuck and she was like, it totally worked. She thought that they did an awesome job with that season and would be willing to watch more Chuck if they bring it back. I was very what? surprised because what Chuck did was it completed everything from his own mythology and then said, oh, you, we've never asked this question, but now that we've asked it, it's really obvious. Like, you, when we ask this question, you will be surprised that you've never actually asked this question before. That's and, and in doing so, literally created a whole new mythology herself in about five minutes. Yeah, and that's what she said. And she's like, it worked. They started in one place, and by the time they got to this new place, she's like, it totally worked. It's totally set up in a way that works for me. And that's... Uh, I, I, I was really impressed. Place. I mean, because I, I, I had been down in the last couple of episodes, I thought, oh, they're completely filling, you know, they're pointing out all the, their own mistakes. And the, right. the last episode was, we meant to. We are now addressing those mistakes and right. finishing those storylines altogether. Wow. Well, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. I know, I, I genuinely, like, coming the day after the last finale, it was kind of like, oh yeah, look, there are writers who are aware of what they're writing. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and like I said, the thing about 30 Rock was surprising to me is I, that, that finale, I was like, wow. I, like, if that was the end of the show, I would be perfectly content. You yeah, know? exactly. I'll be cur- I'd be curious if they bring it back. Um, okay, so lightning round topic. It only took us 15 minutes to tackle that one. Any any other any other quick topics? Um, I'm trying to think what else I have read recently that I have not talked about. Uh, I t- told you about Wednesday Comics and, and posted about that. Um, yes. X-Men Forever. Oh, yes. Wow. Oh, all I'm saying is this. People, I would not really advise you to buy the comics, but go into your local comic store and sit down and read the entire Transport issue, run of X-Men forever. Um, it's, it's kind of hilarious. Uh, it's literally, if this is Claremont Unbound, someone should bind him. <laughs> I, I, the worst part is knowing Claremont yeah, and his yeah, strange yeah, bondage yeah, path. Yeah. I'm like, Graham, couldn't you phrase that a little oh, better? Oh, no, I knew exactly how it was phrased. <laughs> Um, no, seriously. Uh, so the the end of X Men Forever is um, he kills off not one but two characters, one of whom is not an X Men. <laughs> <laughs> he kills off Tony Stark. What? Yes. Why would he do that? Because Tony Stark has been undercover helping manufacture the Sentinels all along, but really he's a good guy. And in order to prove it, he blows himself up with the Beast. Oh wait, he's he's. Does he like? He really? ties... that, that's all you need to know. Oh my god! Okay, because I was going to make a joke about about him using the beast to blow himself up, but I, I think I know what you mean. They both blow up with some sort of thing. Yes. Wow, yeah. Th- that's crazy. This comes by the way after um, Jean Grey, who you may or may not remember, started the series by saying, "I don't love you, Cyclops. I'm in love with Wolverine." Just before Wolverine dies, she then right. declares love for the beast, and then he dies. <laughs> <laughs> and the best part is. The last issue is literally her going, why can't I save the ones I love? I, <laughs> I came back from the dead, why can't they? And characters saying, because you're special. That's, that's really the last issue. It's so great. Wait, so is this thing being cancelled then? Did they not just... launching it. It's made its 24 issues. Now they're relaunching it as like X-Men Forever 2 or X-Men Forever Season 2 or something. Wow. Wow. Well, I don't know if they'll uh, if they'll manage to get everybody back on the bus now oh, that they've given them a chance to get off the bus. It's an incredible bus. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the bus 
<laughs> I mean, it's also okay. So elsewhere in this, so the whole thing about X Men Forever is that the title is ironic because all the X Men are going to die. Uh, the the, the MacGuffin is that mutants have their powers because they're essentially burning through their life force quicker. Damn it! I thought of something like that way back when. Well, if only you're Chris Claremont. <laughs> if only. Um, uh. I, you know, and there's lots of characters who disprove this theory. Like, why is Professor Xavier still alive? You know, why is Magneto? Eh, what about Wolverine? Well, he's dead now. Um, <laughs> but, so yeah, so X-Men Forever is, is, is this weird, like, collection of, of interesting stuff like that. And then crazy stuff like, so Sabretooth is now a member of the X-Men because... He is Wolverine's dad, which I don't know was ever official in the normal X-Men universe or not, but he is now. Um, and he has been blinded and has his hand cut off. And a character says, they're not going to grow back because your healing power can only do so much, and it can't do that. And then the last issue of the, the series, Mario McTaggart appears and like, actually, I can supercharge your healing power to grow back your hands, but not your eyes, because that's different. And it's not explained. <laughs> <laughs> Your eyes, your eyes are different, okay? They're not coming back. Ah, uh, you know, I'd kind of hope that it would be the other way around, that he would get his eyes back, but then he'd be kind of one-handed. I think that would be kind of interesting. No, 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 he's now blind, but it's okay, because to all intents and purposes, he's not blind, because all of his other senses make up for it. I mean, literally, oh. he has no eyes, but it does not stop him to anything at all. Oh, oh man. And he will comment on it in the, in the narration, because, you know, it's Chris Lerman. Um, about having no eyes does not slow him down. So it kind of raises the point, why does he have no eyes? If it does, it serves no purpose for him not to have any eyes. Why do you have no eyes? You know, which actually is one of the things that I like about Chris Claremont. That, to me, again, that's such a weird old-school Marvel idea, kind of. Like, like there, it's not, it's never a full take back. Like, there's always an idea of, to, to pardon Lost's favorite catchphrase, whatever happened happened you know like i mean that sounds really stupid to say considering this is happening in a chris claremont retro con you know retro continuity sandbox where he can't he can play with whatever toys he wants oh, yeah, he could, yeah but but for the most part i always felt that claremont like whatever goofy thing that he threw in or someone else threw in he always tried to respect it oh like, no he, he, he plays he does not really retroactively do anything like I'm really surprised the series finished without Wolverine coming back but Wolverine seems to be genuinely dead right which right. is is kind of stunning to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I'm I'm kind of impressed with it. I mean he he he's changing these things he's killing these characters and he doesn't seem to be doing it in a sort of only joking sense he seems to be perfectly fine with killing his characters yeah yeah, it it kind of reminds me of after Morrison left X Men, and it seemed like the only person who was willing to play with half the concepts that Morrison had left behind was Claremont, who yes. seemed perfectly happy to do it. And in many ways, X Men Forever feels like a response to Morrison's X Men. Interesting. Well, I I feel like the the whole mutants have a a, a genetic cell by date plot mm-hmm. is the inverse of Morrison's humanity has a gen- genetic cell by date plot. Ah, I see. You know, I like it. it he's he's addressing the the idea of evolution and what it means to be a mutant on a genetic level, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in 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 a way that X Men comics normally don't, but also in the opposite way that Morrison did. Right. I mean, there, there's there's you know, it's on that. That's that's what's so frustrating about it. It's kind of a fascinating comic, but it's also terrible. Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I've 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 got all the issues. You know, what I mean, like I I can't drop the book. I keep picking it up. 
I, I mean, I swear to God, I, I don't want to tell you to buy it because it's bad, but I kind of wish you could read it because characters change costumes and entire looks, and it's not addressed at all. Like, Gambit changes his look entirely between issues. I mean, honestly, if you were not reading the dialogue, you'd think it was a different character. Wow. Like, Like, his hair color changes. I, well, I tell you what, and it's not addressed. I I will uh, I will sign up for the the reboot. I will I will start picking you, up season two. You, you will hate me for it because it, uh, I hate like, you I'm already. Not so it's a good comic. I'm just <laughs> comic. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Yeah, okay. So Rogue and Nightcrawler are definitely brother and sister now in in the Claremont universe. Whoa, I'm and they've swapped powers. What? Uh... Rogue is now blue furry and can teleport, and Nightcrawler now takes people's powers if he touches them. Dude, okay, what? You're exactly. blowing my mind here. There's what is purpose? There's two issues given over to the story. It serves no purpose. Literally, this the series is Chris Claremont doing shit because he can. Yeah, but you know what I'm fascinated by is is like with the apart with the apart from like the Sabretooth being Wolverine's dad thing, which had always been a long standing theory of his or you know, rocking horse, I'm shocked by how much of this just seems utterly arbitrary. It's not like, oh, I'm trying to redress some sort no, of No, no, I, I I'm really pretty sure that the Nightcrawler rogue thing is an old Claremont idea. Oh I'm really? I'm genuinely convinced that there was some Nightcrawler mystique. A connection teased when he was on the book the first time. Uh, yes, and I'm right. also fairly sure that the idea that Rogue is Nightcrawler's is uh, Mystique's daughter is also hinted at the thing. Like, it, it, it yeah, that is that is true. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will, I will buy into that. Okay, I see what you're saying. Right, it goes for those two things. Okay, you, so you're totally right. All right, well, all I can say is, holy mother of fuck, that is it's, it, honestly in 24 issues, which. Don't forget, we're released bi-weekly, so it's right. it's a year's worth of comics. Yeah. Uh, he has made more changes to the X-Men universe that have happened in the real X-Men universe in maybe the two decades since he left the book. <laughs> wow. Well, um, uh... it's It's kind of great. I mean, it's, it's genuinely kind of, I don't know, it's nostalgic, even though he never wrote like this before. Right. If that makes sense. No, 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 no. I totally get it. Because actually, I do think that that, you know, the weird thing is, is that actually does, I can see where where the nostalgia kicks in, because there is a lot of really weird shit in his first hundred issues of of the X-Men. Yeah, I mean, so these 24 issues basically feel like a like hundred issues worth of normal X-Men. Do you know what I mean? Because right. like there's even, there's a three issues plot that is fairly unconnected to everything where um, they go and visit uh, Colossus in Russia which really feels like you know old X-Men comics where for no reason whatsoever they'd be like let's go here let's have yes. an adventure that's separate to everything Yeah, you know yeah. There, there's a, so there is a, an awful lot of that sort of thing that goes on mm-hmm. um, but I mean it's just there's so much it's just insane uh, Storm turns out to be a bad guy who may or may not be the real Storm and, and, like, that is never actually answered. But um, wow. Storm kills off the Black Panther. She gets, mar- she gets married to and then kills off the Black Panther. Wow. Okay. 
wow, dude, I'm seriously, I'm actually thinking like I might have to do some back issue shopping because this stuff does sound pretty, pretty crazy. Ass. It's it's completely out there. It's just wonderful. <laughs> I, honestly, <laughs> terrible at the same time. Okay, which to bring things full circle, how does that distinguish it from the rise of Arsenal number three? Um, it's not as sensational. It's sensational only if you're an X-Men fan, because, like... I was about to say, Evil Storm kills Black Panther. What are you talking about? No, but really, seriously, think about it. Like, that's nothing. That's a character killing another character. That's not a character, um... Killing another character with a dead cat and then shooting up? Yeah. You know, I mean, like, fucking a woman for no reason whatsoever, then revealing that he's impotent, then going and shooting up heroin, (laughs) then waking up and being tied to a gurney. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's sensational if you have no idea who these characters are. If you mm-hmm. know, if you have no idea who the X Men are, and you're reading X Men Forever, you will be struck by this story makes no sense, mm-hmm. but you won't be like, "Oh, come on!" Do you know what I mean? It's a different thing. It's the difference between um, it's the difference between Batman raping Catwoman and mm-hmm. Batman getting married to Catwoman, and then killing her because it turns out that he's potentially been evil all along. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's <laughs> there, there is a difference. Yes, no, I do see what you're saying, but I I think this may have to be a topic that we'll have to revisit at another point. Because on the one hand, I totally I see your point. It does, but it does bring up some really interesting avenues of discussion. I think, which is kind of like, would we all be okay with dead baby porn uh, and heroin porn if there was no actual porn porn involved, or you know? Um, because well, no, the problem that people have, or at least I have, with dead baby porn and, and, and heroin porn, has got nothing to do with porn porn. It's to do with the fact that it's just, it's gratuitous. It's got nothing to do with, you know, I am offended or this, I don't know. It, it's, it's, I think bringing in porn porn is, is a, a sideways argument. Yeah, it's probably true. I, I guess because, just because of the examples that you used, I, I, I mean, of course, the rape thing is is not. Well, I was just trying to think of something that was like completely right. gratuitous and out of yeah. Yeah, that that is hor. I guess that is horrible. I guess the thing that I find interesting about this stuff and is that what is it? It still sounds like everything that you said, as as insane as it is, there's kind of also. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll have to read it, but uh, but I I did, yeah, okay. I did bring it up as, now, as kind now, of now a you have to go your your homework assignment for this podcast. Yeah. Oh God, is, is going to comics experience because I know it's going to have copies of X Men Forever Unsold. The, most of them are probably gone by now because he sold them for a buck. But yeah, they're probably all gone. Damn it! Find find someone in San Francisco who's bought the series because so, I will. Someone must have bought the series. You uh, know. I'm sure dozens of people after your recommendations online. I, I will I will have to I will try and hunt this up. I will hunt this up. I will read it. We will discuss it. Okay. It's okay. a deal. <laughs> <laughs>